0: We will never leave you, even in the face of our deaths. The richness of our lives will be yours.
1: All that I have, all that I've learned, everything I feel,
2: all this and more, I... I bequeath you, my son.
0: You will carry me inside you. All the
2: days of your life. You will make my strength your own. See my life through your eyes. As your life will be seen through mine. The Son comes the Father and the Father. Of mine. The Son. This is
0: all I. All I can send you. Hello.
2: In, in a retrospective podcast Superman retrospective series hi mm-hmm. Superman. that's me from 1978 Superman all the way through 2016 Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice Garrett how can one man be so square and so delicious Long past saving. and Adam you diseased maniac We'll look at all the Kryptonian Sun's cinematic adventures The problem with men of steel there's never one around when you want one was Richard Donner's vision of Superman deserving of its iconic reputation Easy miss I've got you you you've got me who's got you? As Superman returns as bad as it's reputed to be. Hey,
1: you know something? You're a real pain in the neck.
2: What about 1984's Supergirl? Well, we really better talk. Find out the answers to all these questions and more coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. This order's to go.
0: Superman IV, The Quest for Peace, released July 24th, 1987, budget on this was $17 million box office, a pretty hefty $36.7 million, I guess for this movie, and it's directed by Sidney J. Fury, or was it directed by Christopher Reeve? We will discuss it. Boys, we will podcast, but first, I have fun. It's time to discuss Superman 4, another movie I have quite a backstory with. But I have to say, between this and Jaws of Revenge, which was released a week after this. <laughs> 1987 was not a good movie for franchise films.
3: Well, based on those two, it definitely was not a strong year for fourth
1: installments. Yeah.
0: And nobody needs us to say, if you're downloading this podcast, you know, this is widely regarded as one of the worst superhero movies or movies of all time. You don't need us to tell you that. But does it deserve that reputation? Matt, correct me if I'm wrong. In the 10 years or so we've been doing this, is this the first time we have discussed Canon Films?
3: Yes, without having to make reference to it with either a joke or a sidebar. I think this is the first time we are doing a movie that Canon actually produced.
0: Now, I kind of know your feelings on Canon Films, Matt. We've kind of referenced it in the past. Adam, I'm curious with you, sir. You know, Canon Films, Notorious, Missing in Action for Chuck Norris, Masters of the Universe, Over the Top. These are all the movies they released. By the way, Over the Top was also 1987. What is your history with Canon Films? Are are you aware of these guys' works? Are you aware of the documentary they did?
1: I'm aware, though I haven't watched the documentary. But for me, Canon Films, when that logo showed up, Either HBO at night or when I popped into VHS at home, usually I was in, for a lot of them, for some R-rated bloody violence for some of their films. And if it wasn't that, then it was cheesy, cheesy, quote-unquote, goodness. So even growing up, I associated them with schlock, but schlock that could be entertaining.
0: Okay, and Goudreau, we have discussed on the show already this year that you enjoy trashy movies. What are your feelings on Canon Films? I would assume if you like trashy movies, you've got to be a Canon Films fan, right?
3: Oh, this is a goldmine of shit, if you look at their (laughs) resume. And and I sort of, there's pre-Golden Globus Canon, and then there's post-Golden Globus Canyon. The Mm -hmm. post is when you start to get to their well-known movies, stuff like Enter the Ninja, the Death Wish sequels. And let's not forget, this also came out the same year as Masters of the Universe, which might be their most
0: famous movie.
3: But they did attract – oh, Garrett, I have a retraction, actually. We talked about Texas Chainsaw 2, which is a canon production.
0: Oh, that's right. You're right. So
3: so technically, this is our second attempt. Oh, yeah. Well, in my case, I like Texas Chainsaw 2. You did not. So who knows? (laughs) This will be a similar discussion. But they were sort of the trauma before Trump in that they had a very dedicated group of people who worked for the production company, and they made movies that were what they lacked in budget more often than not. They made up for with reveling in a particular style or being unapologetic with their tone. Look at a movie like Cobra, which is also a canon production. In a lot of circles, that movie is perceived really far down Because it was basically tropes of action movies on steroids. And it was played so straight... But they made up for it because it's one of the most violent movies Stallone has ever made. And that includes the last couple Rambo movies. So Mm -hmm. they got big names. You know, Stallone made a couple movies with them. We had talked about in Texas Chainsaw 2, you know, Dennis Hopper was sort of a, yeah, I mean, look, you had Life Force, which they really wanted to be like the sci-fi movie of the, and we saw how that panned out. So if you ask me, like, what's the definitive canon movie? Why do I love them as much? Uh, Death Wish 3 is the example I always use. As far as notoriety, though, this is probably, The Quest for Peace might be their most infamous movie because of the IP that's associated with it, because of the major financial crisis they hit while this movie was in production, and the 40 minutes of footage that was cut after the movie was initially screened. So not only does this movie have a bad reputation, it also was sort of the beginning of the end for Canon as a somewhat reliable production studio. Because I think their last, this official release would have been cyborg with Jean claude van damme Damme. i think that was like the, the late 80s but after that they lost their equivalent of the midas touch which i guess i don't know is there an aluminum touch not even silver they're all the way down in aluminum you know it's not very expensive but it's very practical i think that's a good way to suffice canon movies
0: yeah all right let's talk about this particular movie as mentioned last week Christopher Ree was not happy with the way Superman 3 came out. And he was very adamant, look, I'm done with Superman, I'm not coming back. So Salkines went and they did Supergirl, which we're gonna cover in a couple months. And he even said he was supposed to come on for a cameo for that. But he's like, nope, I told you guys, I'm not done in those tights again, we're done. So the Salkines lost money on that, and what they do? They find <laughs> Golden Globus, Canon Films, and they sell this property. To Canon Films, who Matt hit it pretty well, actually. You you summarized it well. They were on the brink of going mainstream. They were on the brink of getting out of the depths of trashy shit that they were doing around this time. A lot of it likable trashy shit, by the way. Maybe one day we'll do Death Wish. That is a series that, my God, they're, they're terrible movies if you look at them, but they're just fun trash to me. And they were trying to get out of that ghetto and get mainstream. And so they acquired Masters of the Universe. They acquired this movie coming out the same year. And so Reeve saw this, and they came to him, and they're like, okay, we got the property. Can you come back? And Reeve said, all right, I'll come back if you let me do my passion project, which is Street Smart. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie. No. It is a movie that features an early but very good Morgan Freeman performance. He plays a pimp in that movie. But that's literally like the only thing that's good about that movie, honestly. And that was a passion project from Reeve. He produced it. He starred in it. It's like what Nolan was doing, what we discussed with Nolan, Matt, when we covered those movies. Nolan's Batman movies were made because he was able to do something he liked. Well, they did something that Reeve liked. So now he's going to give back by doing this. And in order for him to come back, though, on top of it, not only was he paid $6 million, which in 1987 is astronomical and is 35% of this movie's original budget by the way. <laughs> Damn. Not only did they do that but he was able to do an outline of a story that he wanted to do which was nuclear disarmament. We're going to talk about how that meshes. But when they got the budget for this, it was $36 million. That is 4 million dollars more than what Return of the Jedi was projected at when it started production. So this movie was, before it went into production, it was already getting Star Wars money to get made. $36 million in 1987 is huge. We discussed when we did Batman. 1989's Batman, $30 million to make that movie. So that is a huge amount of money. And then they started making Masters of the Universe, and Golden Globus was not making any money, over-the-top flopped, and... They needed to save, so they slashed this thing from $36 million all the way down to $17 million. Ouch. Matt, that's pretty much what was covered in that documentary, correct? Yeah, I think the documentary is called, like, Electric
3: Boo yeah. or something like that. The Untold History of Canon. It's a very good documentary, and that took a long time to actually get released. It was one of those documentaries that was sort of like the Snyder Cut, where people talked about its actual existence. The difference is I don't think anybody was bullied or harassed into getting that movie made. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. It's certainly worth your time if you're interested in film history, and in particular, why this movie garnered the fate that it, unfortunately, was rendered. It's almost like they strapped this director and everyone associated with a
0: giant kryptonite rock necklace and just threw them off the side of a cliff. Now, you mentioned the runtime. Let's discuss the runtime of this. So originally, as you mentioned, this movie was 134 minutes. Canon, thinking they could make more money if they have a limited runtime and get more showings, cut this fucker to 89 minutes. Okay, it's the shortest I Superman can't... movie. <sighs> You're trying to cut that many costs where you're just going to slash this movie. I mean, there are a lot of movies today, don't get me wrong, that that need 30 minutes sliced off. (laughs) Um, Yes. I saw a movie this weekend in theaters, which we'll probably discuss, What needed at least 20 minutes slashed off of it. But this one, they cut it down to 89 minutes. And hell, some of the movies we're going to talk about after our hiatus could have used a good shaving. Yeah, absolutely. So... My goodness. All right. So that's a lot of the history of this. I want to discuss with you guys. Matt, when was the first time you saw this? I'm, I'm guessing when it was the build up to Superman Returns.
3: Whenever I watched Superman 3, I decided to just bite the kryptonite bullet and bang this out as well. But I was excited is the wrong word. I was curious to watch this because of the hoopla that surrounds it. I knew going into this the reputation, and I had heard everyone call it the worst Superman movie and one of the worst comic movies of all time, which for me, I've made points on previous shows about my feelings on certain ones, whether it was Batman and Robin, whether it was Catwoman, some of those X-Men movies. I think the genre has some pretty low depths. And I'm curious, when I sat down to watch this again, would I feel that I could put that in the same camp for me personally, because I'm not a Superman fan in a major capacity. So I don't think I have the propensity or the bias to walk into this movie expecting something great and aspirational like Superman is and getting the 89 minutes that followed my decision to put the disc in the player.
0: Now, Adam, you mentioned at the end of last week's show, there was quite a tease where you said you had seen it one time and one time only. What were you expecting when you put this in for this particular viewing?
1: I had forgotten how short this movie's runtime was. So the only thing that I thought is, can I stand up to the nuclear might that was about to come and force its way into my eyeballs? Like, going through this movie again, I remembered some things. I remembered, obviously, Nuclear Man. I remembered we got Hackman back. And that was about it. I remembered almost nothing of Superman, strangely enough. Oh, and also I remembered Mariel Hemingway. But I think it's because that's the reason my dad actually took me to see this movie theater was because I heard... That sounds like your dad. Um, <laughs> yes, it does to this day. <laughs> and outside of that, I remembered nothing. Nothing about Superman, nothing about Clark, nothing about the rest of the characters. So I was curious as to how this would play as a Superman piece, remembering nothing but the infamy behind it.
3: Superman, peace. I
1: see
0: what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> now you said your dad took you to this, so you saw this in theaters.
1: This was absolutely a theater. Wow. One, yeah. I don't. I've never seen it since growing up. I think I got two different sets. I Got the Blu-ray release recently, but I, this is not one that I've put in to watch again.
0: So I have a story of how I first saw this movie. No, it was not a theatrical viewing. None of the original Reeve movies were theatrical viewings for me. But Adam might remember when we were going to school, there were scholastic books. You know, you get to order these books and you take this catalog home. You show your parents and you're like, mom, can I get this book? And then the parents shell out the money for you and you you get a set of books. And of course, it should be no shock to anybody. I was gravitated towards the movie books that were offered. One of the books they did offer was the Superman 4 book. They would release these novelized versions of these movies with the pictures of the movie on the covers. And on the inside, it's not like there were pictures inside except in the middle, but you got to read pretty much what was on screen. So I ordered this book. I gotta tell you guys, I'm reading this book. It sounds like the most amazing movie I've ever seen. I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my God, I need to see this. Like, this sounds amazing. This must be awesome when you see it projected on screen. And so I didn't get to see it in theaters because it was in and out pretty quick. Waited till video rented it i convinced my mom you gotta rent this for me please mom rent this for me we took it home and if you want to see an 11 year old heart sink i mean i watched this even as an 11 year old i'm like what the fuck is this (coughs) this is not what i read and by the way that book contained a lot of the deleted scenes which i'm going to discuss today so i was really thrown the fuck off (laughs) Saw this for the first time. <laughs> All right, let's talk about, before we get to the actual movie, let's talk about the director's chair in this, because it, it's another story that just amazes me. What we end up with, we end up with Sidney J. Fury. Now, Sidney J. Fury at this point, and the only thing I really know him from is he did the two Iron Eagle films with Louis Gossett Jr. Iron Eagle. Yeah. But before they got Sidney J. Fury on, they offered it to Donner. Christopher Reeve really wanted to bring back that Donner feel, so he's like, look. I got rid of the kinds, Will you do this for me? And Donner was like, "Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. I kind of have Lethal Weapon going on right now. And I don't know if he read the script or not. I don't think Donner ever said if he did, but he passed. Which is weird because Donner had actually mapped out ideas. Him and Mankiewicz mapped out ideas for five to six Superman films. They were on board for all of those until the producers fucked it all up for him. There's also a big reason, though, why Donner said no additionally 1987, Lethal Weapon
3: was about to well, come That's out. what
0: I said, yeah. He's like, look, I have this yep. Lethal Weapon thing I'm doing. I'm good. I don't need this anymore. So, Reeve went on. He really wanted, of all people, Ron Howard to do this. Ugh. <laughs> I love Matt's size. God, fucking Diet Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> but Ron Howard was busy with Willow. You guys got to hear this. So, they went to... <laughs> Can you guys guess? Matt, I'll give you a hint. We've covered him in the past, and we are not fans. Oh, wow.
3: What a narrow <laughs> land. <that> I...
0: <laughs> a uh, horror series director. Wes Craven? Wes Craven? It got Wes Craven to come. And Craven was going to- the director of Swamp Thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I said. He already had comic book cred. He did Swamp Thing. And him and Reeve had, quote-unquote, creative differences. Could you imagine a Superman film directed by Wes Craven? I mean, you kind of say too at this point, Craven had helped with Nightmare on Elm Street 3, he had done that script, but he was trying to get out of that realm of horror even though he was also working on Shocker at the fucking time.
3: I could see Wes Craven if they really embraced someone like Bizarro. Yeah. Or if they did Parasite as a villain. I think there's a, there's an avenue where
0: in an alternate timeline speaking of the multiverse, I could see a Wes Craven Superman film. I honestly could. Okay, so that's been pretty much all I have behind the scenes of this. We're going to get into so much more of this as we discuss it. Are you boys ready? I don't know. Am I? (laughs) (laughs) Because let me tell you, for a 90-minute film, I have a shit ton of notes. So as we start, yes, we're getting John Williams' theme. But what is up with these fucking credits? In the movies before, they swoop down, they put you in wonder, right? But here, right off the bat... We are getting the idea that we're not in Smallville, Kansas anymore. Adam, I think the credits to Refuge cost more than these fucking credits. <laughs> these are yes. god
1: awful. You know what's amazing too is that suddenly it's Warner Brothers presents, but then it also the South kinds find a way to still get a credit before Christopher Reeve in this. Is <laughs> like I mean, Christopher village. Reeve
3: is top billed this time. Uh
1: huh. Is actor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen an initiated by in any movie credit whatsoever. So scene initiated by the style Kinds just blew me away. Yeah.
0: We cut to a spaceship in singing mode as they approach Earth. And I'm going to say, at this point, the effects aren't too bad. It's when Superman flies in and rescues them that I really noticed the bad effects work. They use the same shot of Reeve flying towards the camera with at least six different backgrounds in this fucking movie. Yes,
3: it's the same exact composite shot of him flying. Yeah. Same expression. It's the only, by my count, not that I kept score because... It was hard enough answering the bell to finish this movie, let alone make copious notes. That do, Does he have any, when he flies and they do that shot of him going towards the camera, I don't think they use another instance or another take. It's exclusively the shot. Yes. The fucking DJ college of images. Another one. Another one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, I get what they're going for here. You want to rescue. You want to start that off on the right foot but I'm not even sure these producers have feet. Superman tells the astronauts that they'd be safer singing in the ship after he goes and rescues them. Oh, boy.
1: First of all, it's the, whatever it is, not the Soyuz capsule, but whatever this spaceship, this Russian thing is floating in space, yeah, that looks good, because you're actually cutting it with a black background. So it's the one time that they can actually do a composite shot that doesn't look like utter tripe in this movie. I like to save. I think there's something right about Superman showing up, saving other people, and speaking their language. And even as an adult, him communicating in Russian just made me smile. I was like, that just seems like a perfectly Superman kind of thing to do.
3: Especially during a time where we were still in an arm's way with exactly. Russia of all kinds. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Now, what happened, the physics behind it, I don't even want to think about. Putting him back in this capsule that's got a door. that Does it look horrible? Yes. Does it play horribly? Oh, yeah. But for this first opening little bit, this is Superman as far as I'm concerned.
0: Now, let's talk about Reeve here. Reeve got a lot of flack when this had come out, not just because, well, <laughs> what we're going to talk about. <laughs> but there was also a lot of shit in the press being said about the fact that he didn't look like he really worked out for this role. And I will say that is yet another thing that the Canon company fucked him over on. Because they decided not to go with the rig that they used for the first few films. They went with a cheaper flying rig. And this rig really f- fucked with his costume to the point where it looked like he was bigger than he actually was. So he was still relatively fit. He was still in pretty decent shape. But this fucking rig does him no favors.
1: Yeah, and I heard that throughout the years with people's critique of this movie. I don't think he looks bad. No. I think he, he looks awkward when he's flying, but I think it's because it's shot horribly and it was a week afternoon to get a few shots. But I don't think he's out of shape like people have said. I don't think he looks fat. I don't think he looks bloated a little bit from the first one. Yeah, he looks like it's been eight years since he filmed mm-hmm. Superman the movie, but that's all. Yeah,
0: and I will say the only thing that looks different on him is his hair. For some reason, like, it looks different. It's not
1: black. Yeah. It's not jet black. It's brown. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to superheroes
3: nowadays where these actors look like bodybuilders that nowadays it's a lot more obvious to tell when people are not putting in the work. I mean, look at Chris Pratt in Guardians One versus how oh. he looks in Love and Thunder. Like, <laughs> no kidding. big big frickin' difference. Like there's a or Ben Affleck in B V S versus Justice League to where Chris Reeve, because he didn't have
0: those big fluctuations, unless you tell me what you just did, I honestly would not have given it much thought. We then cut to Smallville as Clark is looking at the farm and comes across, wait a second, wasn't this crystal already used?
1: Now, here, dude, it just completely glances over the fact. Are we to take that Ma can't die? Yeah,
0: yeah, not even so. Yeah, because
1: they, they mentioned
0: that
3: in Superman 3. three. He has a, yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Wow, shows how much I actually remembered <laughs> of that movie.
0: <laughs> and we just
3: reviewed it last week. I, I know.
1: <laughs> he hears the voice of his mom,
0: so Susanna York, she's come back, who tells him of the son's ability to give him powers as well as the final last for sure, final crystal from his home planet, as it can only be used once, or twice, or three times, however many is convenient
1: enough. Here in this Lazarus pit that suddenly shows up in the bottom of this barn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We get some bad x-ray vision and ceiling effects as Clark sees a guy named Mr. Hornsby approach, and he tells him that he doesn't want another shopping center in Smallville, so he's not going to sell the farm. Now this gets dropped right here in this cut. In the deleted scenes, what ends up happening is Lacey, she ends up buying it because she wants a simpler life than the city life, which I think is actually a good conclusion for that character and is one of many things that I will argue would have made this a better movie.
1: You know what? I don't want an ire cut of Suicide Squad, but I'll appreciate a full cut of this to see what it could have been. Fuck yes, I. Because yeah. if they if they cut that much out, they cut a quarter out of this movie. That could change
3: things. Uh-huh. Maybe they could also go back and revamp these effects. Like you hire a new workshop to come in and buff some so, of these up.
1: Yeah, smooth with the transitions. Yeah, color coordinate this a little bit better. We
0: then get Clark doing a great impression of a Mets hitter as he strikes out, and then he <laughs> and then he hits a little bitter. It. And then he hits the ball out in space. I wonder if the astronauts are still there. We then cut to Lex Luthor. What's Gene Hackman doing here? He's asking that
3: same question. (laughs) In this one,
0: a lot of his scenes looks like he's
3: reading off a cue cards. He really looks... I get bringing him back because we talked about how ineffective Ross Webster was in the third movie and... His absence was missed. He was basically a a clone, speaking of nuclear. He's the nuclear man of Lex (laughs) Luthor's. But here, not only do they not
0: give him much to work with, he also just looks completely disinterested in almost all of his scenes. The only thing I saw about this was he did come back as a favor to Reeve. Reeve really wanted him back. And again, with the Southkind's not here, Hackman was like, ah, okay. And I actually read an interview with Reeve where he talked about bringing Hackman back and the fact that he comes and he sees him in the first Superman movie. He goes to his door and he's like, so why did you decide to do this movie? And Hackman said, I give you 2 million reasons why I came to do this movie. So I think he was disinterested from the start, honestly. But he had more to work with in those first two films because you had Donner directing him. He had a whole bunch of other things going on there. And I agree with you, Matt. He does look kind of disinterested. I'm going to go ahead and say I think the scenes with him and Reeve work in this movie. I think those kind of stand out to me. Yeah, the two of them that we
3: get. Yeah, exactly. Are arguably the best parts of the movie. Yeah,
0: good point. We didn't see John Cryer as his nephew Lenny. Oh fuck. Son of a bitch. He pulls up and as he shows the cops his new car sound system, they get trapped and then launched off a cliff. Sans explosion. And survive. Yeah. It survived. <laughs> yeah, they they survived GI Joe style here. Now, is this a good Otis replacement?
1: <laughs> what? No. I would rather have Otis back every day of the week. This oh. Uncle Lex, dude. Oh, God. I can't stand John Cryer in anything, and this might be the absolute worst. Wow, you don't like him in anything? Jesus. You didn't like
0: him in uh, in John no. Hughes stuff way back when?
1: No, he was annoying then. <laughs> Gee, uh. Which
3: is the only reason he got this role is because Pretty in Pink was such a big, mm-hmm. big hit.
1: Yeah,
0: they wanted to go for that youth flavor. They knew that at this point, a lot of these people were kind of long in the tooth, and they did want that youth flavor, so they hired them. And at one point, he is on set, and I don't know if they were going to, you know, get a stick of gum at the craft table or something, but he ran into Christopher Reeve, and Reeve was like, you know what? This isn't very good. He's like, let's just get through it. Which, you (laughs) know what? If you work so hard to get a gig, like getting in a Superman movie, you're thinking life's going to be grand, and when you hear that, it's got to fucking dampen your spirits.
3: I think this was one of those Joe Namath-Satan deals where John Cryer did this movie and then 35 years later got to play Lex Luthor on Supergirl. I heard that. How is he on that? Yeah, yeah. He's actually pretty good. I I was surprised because when I heard that casting, I sort of squirmed in my seat. I don't like what they did with him later on, but when he first showed up and killed an entire courtroom full of people, I was surprised that I found him... A
0: closer Lex Luthor than any of the ones we've gotten in these movies. It will get. Yep. We cut to the subway as Lois. Oh, Lois. Margot Kidder. She was in the midst of her pill-popping days here. And she is one of a few cast members that I loved in the first film. So much so that when I see them here, they just do not look well. Miss Kidder, you really need to see your sponsor. I hate seeing her like this in this movie.
2: Yeah,
1: it's it's a shame, and I think she is, you know, trying to put on a performance and such, but you could tell she's going through some shit, mm. and it's a shame, because I don't think any of her co-stars, producers, directors, or anything had any thought for helping her. They just wanted to keep yeah. using her up as much as they can, as much as Hollywood does to young females specifically, unfortunately.
0: So Lois is on the subway, and these fainting spells will kill you. As the driver falls in a seat, and there's Superman to rescue this big train. Not exactly the subway we followed Otis in in the first film, is it, guys?
1: No. And for somebody who's doing runaway train drills at work for the last I week, I thought of and you the evacuation. Yeah, I thought of you during. Oh, this. wow! <laughs> <laughs> this was the uh, yeah, perfect timing for me. I can tell you. <laughs>
0: Superman does his duty as he assures the people on the subway that it is still the safest way to travel. Uh, I will say, I think Reeve is giving his best here. This is trying so hard to harken back to that helicopter scene in that first Superman movie, but just doesn't have the the same feel.
3: So much of this feels like we are just going through the motions. Everything from the delivery to the reprieves that they do of key scenes from the original. It's kind of sad to watch for a lot of it, but I will say this as a Summation of the movie. Unlike Batman and Robin, which this is frequently compared to, I don't feel like this was a movie made with either tongue in cheek no. or one of those instances to where the studio was just pushing a toy commercial. This, I felt at least it was made with sincerity and wasn't talking down to the audience or dumbing it down too much. It was just a byproduct of the production company. And not having the resources to really pull this off. So, yeah, I would rather watch this than Batman and Robin ever again, to be totally honest.
0: Yeah, but this has no Superman credit cards. You're right. (laughs) So Clark shows up to work in time to see David Warfield and his daughter Lacey. They're saying they're going to change the newspaper to a tabloid. This was very topical at the time, but my goodness, how bad is this age now? Mm -hmm. They cancel Lois' trip to Paris, which is probably a good thing if you've seen part two. (laughs) <laughs> oh. it seems crazy
1: she would want to go back I know right she's got some of uh, Paris and she's trying to speak French throughout this entire film on top of it
0: <laughs> yeah exactly good point now Kidder did say later on that her and Reeve did not get along on this movie she kind of felt his ego was kind of out of control given that he had the story credit and she also said that him and the director Sidney Fury they fought all the time nuclear man Mark Pillow he also found Reeve to be very intense but he liked Hackman a lot he thought he was a joy to work with Reeve You know, I think his his heart's in this, but I think you can see it. I I think a lot of these cast members, they're just not happy to be here. And I don't think it was Reeve on that extensive of an ego trip. I just
3: think deep down, he knew that he was hamstrung by the team he was working with. And a lot of these people, Margot Kidder, Gene Hackman, even Jackie Cooper, it seems like they were held at gunpoint to shoot some of these scenes because they just looked so apathetic throughout. This entire movie. And it's sad to watch. But at the same time, I would rather watch Christopher Reeve because he's still giving a performance.
0: Like, again, this is not George Clooney of Batman and Robin where I'm like, what are you doing? Clark captures Lacey's heart, which to me harkens back to Lana in that previous film.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It seems like they're definitely trying to. I don't know why you would not. Bring Lana back. They obviously set her up last time. But, yeah, it's definitely what they're trying to do here with Lacey is have somebody that cares about Clark.
0: hmm And, oh, boy, your dad wasn't alone, Adam. I had a huge crush on Mariel Hemingway as well, even though as I watch it 30 years later, my God, look at those fucking shoulder pads. <laughs> but she was a different person to bring in. Again, you have to kind of think back to we are trying to keep things different than Lois and Clark here. <sighs>
1: It's weird. I think she does a decent job. I can't stand the way that she's written. Every time that she's, you know, thanks, Daddy. Oh, Daddy. I, oh, God, I can't stand that. And then she just flips so quick later on in the film. I think it's a good presence, but she's not an antagonist to Lois. She's just there to fall for Clark, which I like having the Clark versus Superman dynamic.
2: But There's just not enough there.
1: I think she's given short shrift when this thing is cut down as much as it is. You talk about people maybe being disinterested. I think if I signed on to something and then I realize a quarter of it's going to get cut out to turn it into a live-action cartoon that they could pump out as quick as they can, I'd be pretty pissy, too.
0: Oh, I'll definitely point out where her scenes get cut out. But you're right. She does get the short shift in this big time.
1: Yeah.
3: I also think she's here as strictly eye candy to offset the condition Margot Kidder was in.
1: For sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a canon type of thing as well you don't get many of these 80 quote-unquote action movies without having some type of bombshell that you would also see on the cover of a magazine.
0: Mm-hmm. Lois explains to Lacey that Clark doesn't go for people like her, to which Lacey responds, everyone's <laughs> attracted to me. I'm very, very rich. We st- <laughs> uh, Lines like that. <laughs> Somebody wrote that line. I know.
3: I know. Well, there's also the, is it a clause in Superman's contract where he can
0: only be with women whose names start with the letter L? Well, Lana? Lana? <laughs> that goes back to the original creators, doesn't it, Adam?
1: It's, it's a comic book thing where having that type of the alliteration that they would use. I mean, that's a goes back to Spider, uh, Superman, Spider-Man. Stan Lee did it all the time, but it, it's a comic book. We see
0: Clark trying to explain why he doesn't have any flying expenses as the president gets on the air and says that they are striving to be first in the arms race. This again was very topical for the time and I actually truly respect Ree for going somewhere so bold with this character. I'd say 80% of my thoughts are, you know, Donner and Mankiewicz were right. You don't go this way with this character. You got to find the human emotion. It was the wrong choice, wasn't it, boys?
1: No, I think it's the right choice. I think it is just executed in an abysmal fashion. I don't think there's anything wrong. I think it's completely in his nature for Superman to want to rid the planet of war of nuclear weapons. I think there needs to be that fight within himself because he can't intervene. I think there needs to be an addressment that he's taking care of it in a fascist way by doing it himself and demanding it. That's literally a comic series that you get later on. I think that that type of thought process, and from Reeve, who wanted to do something meaningful with the story, I think the idea is great. I think everything past the idea is utter crap.
3: Yeah, conceptually, I don't have an issue with this angle because Superman is the ultimate optimist. And nuclear war is the ultimate deterrent and the ultimate showcase of the worst of humanity. So I think by his very nature, he would make this something he sought after. My issue is that no one fights him on it or has any kind of opposition. But he shows up to the U.N. later on, he gets a standing ovation. And you know damn good and well there would be half the countries oh, in that room. Yeah. You would have major ramifications. And I also wish... We got one scene of him at the Fortress of Solitude talking to the floating heads. <laughs> Their dialogue is suffering cartoonish, yeah. too. Like, they come off as the ghosts from A Christmas Carol. To be fair, they did or try to get
0: the them. original people from Superman 1, but they also were like, nope, we're busy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I think this struggle and this dilemma is something you can really explore still in a modern Superman story.
1: It makes me laugh, because for those people who have opinions on who Superman is, can't be, and everything else, Sarmament is kind of a quote-unquote woke Superman type of ideal when you really think about it. And that's just 40 years ago almost, and Superman's going to suit.
0: Especially considering this kid Jeremy, who has a deeper voice than I did in the 8th grade. He, (laughs) he, He says that Superman could help end the arms race, and I truly wonder how Reeve, political mind himself, thought this would fly. Now, let's get to an idea I actually like. I love this idea of Lex getting a strand of Superman's hair and putting it to use on a nuclear warhead. And this whole sequence in the museum, to me, is fun. I have an absolute smile on my face when I see Lex Luthor doing Lex Luthor-type things. Now, would he be able to cut this hair that was holding this weight? This is fucking canon, no. for God's it, it's, holding, it's,
3: it's holding a thousand-pound yeah. dumbbell, yeah. but he can snip it with some hedge clippers.
0: <laughs> but this is something Lex Luthor would do, so I'm kind of going with this.
3: Well, if you want to get technical, this is something Lex Luthor would send people to do, not necessarily himself. You're right.
0: Clark walks in the office of a very leggy Lacey, who says that she has the idea of writing a series called Metropolis After Hours. But Clark thinks he's not right for it because he's in bed by 1030.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Me too, Clark. <laughs> yeah, right? Lacey calls it a date, just in time for Lois to hear it and say a date. But Lois actually is here to hand him a letter from Jeremy, who says that only Superman can end the arms race. You get the feeling that Reeve used to get letters like this?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially in the early to mid-'80s. I mean, there was that nuclear threat, and we were all told that the Russians were going to keep building up their nuclear stockpile, and so were we. The duck and cover against nuclear war was something that was taught in schools, you know? So as much as you look back on it now like a bad joke, that was, unfortunately— grade school reality
0: i remember those drills i remember we had to get under the desk because getting under the desk was going to prevent you from this nuclear cloud (laughs) engulfing you but those were we we did it for
1: earthquakes Mm -hmm. and we did it for nuclear drills
0: yeah and it scared the fuck out of me i gotta say even as an 11 year old i was like mom dad are we gonna like die in a fire like what's going on out there (laughs) and speaking of dying in a fire so the editing here they edit out superman showing up at jeremy's school to give him the answer no and that scene is at one of the deleted scenes here
1: that would have said oh, well that makes the paper make a lot more sense
0: yes this is the point where you can start to see the giant
3: you no know, it's like they took Lex with hedge clippers and started trimming this movie yeah. to where the point where the piece stuff is left out
0: yeah he shows up and the teacher's like oh let's welcome superman and the kids are amazed and then he just kind of goes i want to talk to jeremy just myself so he goes and talks to jeremy he's like what you're asking me to do is too much i cannot do it i have to say no and that just jeremy just looks completely distraught after that but in this theatrical cut jeremy shows up to give his reply to superman which is that he just wishes that superman would have said yes or as warfield publications puts it superman says drop dead to kid (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this pisses Lois off Who says that the Warfields have gone too far this time She assures Clark That she sure Superman will do the right thing
3: This is where oh, You
0: mentioned where
3: I do think at times This comes off as a little heavy handed In a movie about nuclear disarmament
0: The evil conglomerate Behind the Daily Planet is named Warfield Yeah mm-hmm. I thought of that during this viewing too So Superman goes to Well I guess this is the Fortress of Solitude <laughs> Although, I think this set piece isn't too bad. I think this is a decent recreation of that, even if it's a little dark.
3: I yeah. wanted him to walk in, and you see
0: coat holders. He's using the skeleton of Zod and his plutonium yeah. that he left there to <laughs> You know today they would do that fucking Easter egg. Oh, God, I'm
3: yeah. Sure. Well, modern-day Superman would have shown up and broken Jeremy's yeah. neck and said it was that.
0: <laughs> we'll get to that in a couple months. So... His mom tells him to listen. Superman says that Earth is threatened by the same threat as Krypton. And you know what? It is this line that makes it clear to me. The reason Superman ends up doing what he does is because he's seen this before, and it took out his planet. What I don't agree with is the idea of these projected from a 35-millimeter projector heads on this green styrofoam wall. But that's a whole other story. (laughs) But this reason, I think clears everything up. Why would Superman do this? Because he's seen his own planet explode from this. This is actually a pretty decent idea.
1: Yeah, except that that's not how Krypton exploded or why. I mean, it's not the same thing. But but it can end a people. It could end the planet. So based on that, that he has the ability to save it, even though it's against the rules, quote unquote, yeah, I completely understand why he would do it. What I need some more of is I need to believe this struggle within him as to whether or not he could do it. Because I believe this is part of what Chris Reeve wanted, is, look, not only the disarmament, the nuclear threat that was going on in the world this time, but he's like, I can play this as somebody who's struggling because it's against the rules to do the right thing, but I need to do the right thing. But he not up in whatever problem he's having as he doesn't sell it good enough. He says the lines, but it's just not there
3: also not given the time this is the superman 2 problem
1: yeah. where he gives up his
3: powers for all of 15 minutes and these movies know how to call out the dilemmas that superman can really wrestle
0: with but they don't extend it to the duration that gives it weight so clark is mulling all this over at his home in his full suit, by the way, as he's watching TV. Amazing
1: balcony that Clark has, by the way. Fuck. For a beer reporter, this dude's balcony is fucking top notch. Bachelor
3: Well, it's fucking. It's the rules of Gotham City in the Burton films where it's like, yeah, this place isn't the best, but because there's so few people, you got a nice apartment on
0: secretary money or <laughs> newspaper money. Yeah, this Bachelor Pad is pretty kicking. <laughs> Yeah, Lex
1: wants real estate. He should just take it right here in Metropolis. <laughs> Oof.
0: So Lois stops by. Clark says he's not going to the summit meeting. And as he steps outside for some quote-unquote fresh air, Lois sees him stepping off the ledge and yells, It's not that bad, Clark. Don't do it. And he jumps down in a, well, well-meaning scene <laughs> that calls back to the first, complete with original theme, by the way. But how the hell are the 1978 effects of them flying by the Statue of Liberty better than the 1987 effects of flying by the Golden Gate Bridge?
3: It's amazing that the flying effects in Q, the Winged Serpent, look better than uh, This is sad. <laughs> so sad.
0: Yeah. And it also yeah. gets
3: to the, not only is it the Member berries crap that is something that I just can't stand in any capacity, they go back to the mind racing kiss oh yeah i'm getting there which yeah. which leads me to believe how many times has he done this yeah
1: oh yeah that's one of my notes is how bad I screwed up lois's brain by taking away her memory over and over. oh jeez.
0: Uh, superman he proves to be a bigger dick this time as he lets her loose a little longer before scooping her up they talk on Clark's patio, and this scene is actually kind of good, as it's just these two talking. I like them talking, and Lois being the one who kind of convinces him that you always do the right thing, you always have. But she remembers everything, so as Matt calls out, what does Superman do? The goddamn magic kiss again.
1: <laughs> Which, th- okay, so does the kiss wear off does she, if This movie at various times makes it seem like she knows. Yes. But they're both just kind of playing it that they don't. But then they play that she really doesn't. And especially later on, it seems like it's clear that they both know that they both know. Yeah. Her. Clark
0: shows up in a tux, and I'll admit something that'll probably send me to hell. But I kind of laughed when Margot Kidder's like, "Am I going crazy?" <laughs> that was just like, <laughs> "Oh my god." Aww. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Three more years. Yeah. So Superman shows up at this very well scarcely attended by extras that they can't afford summit meeting. And <laughs> they couldn't
3: fill the they couldn't fill the diversity quota needed to accurately depict the UN.
1: I'm gonna say before you get in there, Superman walking into the UN building with kids surrounding him, I think that's a great image and a great shot. I agree. Yeah, sure the Catholic Church loves that scene, too.
0: Jeez. Oh, <laughs> wow. That's, what, that's where my brain went. And was talking. <laughs> yeah, and Christopher Reeve's autobiography does go into this scene in detail where he's like, yeah. And the original script, it was supposed to have hundreds and thousands of extras. And Donner would have made it happen. But we ended up getting probably about a hundred, if that, and a few pigeons to make the scene go by. I'm like, oh, my God. He walks with Jeremy to the summit where he says that he will make it his mission to rid the world of nuclear weapons. And by the way, in this cut, this is the last time we see Jeremy. He makes an appearance in the other cut, but I'll discuss that terrific scene when we get to it. (laughs) All right, so we get a montage of Superman going from country to country, gathering up the nukes and placing them in, well, a giant net. Yeah, he might as well have put them in like a hefty bag and (laughs) shot it into space. (laughs) And then he swings them right into the sun. Which I'm pretty sure would ignite a reaction and kill everybody on the planet. <laughs> there are nuclear blasts on the sun every fucking day. Next, we have William Hookins. Do you guys know who William Hookins is? Yeah, this is uh,
2: Porkins yes. and
0: uh, Eckhart from Batman. Yes, we've discussed him in yep. two of his works, Batman 89 and this one. And in just a span of six months, we would have discussed all of his big-time work. like you said, Porkins and Star Wars. And he's the top men guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark. So. Yep.
3: Uh, there's a third person in this evil uh, triumvirate that shocked me when I realized who it was. I had no idea Jim Broadbent was one of these Yes. People.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't realize mm. that.
0: So he's sitting with a couple other dignitaries as Lex throws up with a couple honeys and said that they should benefit from Superman trying to end the arms race by using it to get rid of him. And I'll give this plot this much. It's a step up from real estate schemes. In fact, it is massive escalation. I kind of like what Luther's doing here, at least at this point. I think this is
1: a Lex plot, and I'm good with that. It feels like something Lex Luther would do. I like smart nuclear Lex. I think one of the reasons maybe you got Hackman back is the most Lex Luther plot we discussed was last week by not Lex Luther. So at least here, he gets to do something that would be worthy of that character on surface.
0: Yeah, on the surface of the sun, if you will. so he has a plan to put a recipe as he calls it on one of their missiles which will cause an enemy that will destroy superman we get a little mixing montage that was actually much bigger in the original cut we get more of this in those deleted scenes of them actually getting all this recipe together this is ridiculous
1: (laughs) it's weird because this is shot like it was a freaking reshoot sequence just to have them do this because it's this tiny little room that they shoot. Uncle Lex, we're going to do science, bro. And wow, this
0: is a choice already. Now, are you guys aware that before we get to Nuclear Man, and oh boy, we will get to Nuclear Man, there was another enemy that arised out of this. Was it the (laughs) Fallen (laughs) Kines? They had created a Nuclear Man 1, which... He looks like just kind of a goofy circus guy. Like, he looks goofy. And he comes out really weird. And Lex sends him after Superman, but he's so weird and doing crazy things like throwing cars and things. And Superman, he doesn't even want to kill him. He comes up to him in a scene where he's going crazy. He's like, dude, I don't want to hurt you. I just want to talk. What's going on here? And he finds out, you know, that Lex has this scheme here. But this was one of these recipes that went totally wrong. And he learned from that.
1: And he escalated it from there.
0: You guys weren't aware of any
1: of this? No. No. To me, that sounds like something you'd get and create a bizarro uh, yes. out of this. Which is kind of what we get, but bizarro would be the, the way to take this. That'd be the way to go. And
0: Reeve kind of wanted to do that, but they'd also just done it in Superman 3, kind of. And again, Canon didn't want to spend the money for it, so they can of can that, did this idea. So Superman sends another missile into the sun, and well, is it safe to call this the worst villain in superhero film history? I
3: don't think think it's the worst. It's certainly the, the least appealing as far as creating something exclusive for a movie. But I can think of instances that are worse. More so the ones that are adaptations of existing characters. Because at least here, Nuclear Man, as stupid as it is... It's befitting of the tone of this movie and and this series. I mean, look, the last movie we had a a, a literal supercomputer and the Coke Zero of Lex Luthor ripoffs. Here in a movie this absurd and and this straightforward about nuclear arms race, creating a literal personification, this is a, a Captain Planet villain that just is in a Superman movie. So I get why people hate this so much. I hate it on principle because I'm always tired of creating villains exclusive to the screen when you have a pantheon like Superman has. Which is no, I don't think it's on the pedestal of Batman's Rose Gallery, but it's, there, there's more to Superman villains than Lex Luthor and General Zod. But I feel like that's the only ones that writers go back to in the movies. So I'm not, I'm not going to say Nuclear Man is the worst. Considering we've had, and we'll talk about this Years down the line, we've had three cracks at Doctor Doom and they
0: haven't gotten it right. I'm more pissed off at that, among others. Oh, my God. You
1: mentioned that. It gives me PTSD. I'm going to say more infamous than anything else, than just worst. Though, I did have to take note that this is the third Superman movie out of four where we're throwing a missile into space. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (sighs) But I don't think we've seen an explosion turn into a zygote, turn into an embryo to fully quote-unquote, hatch, with superhero outfit and cape. (laughs) As we press on nails. This super DNA came fully formed from the sun.
0: And hairspray, too. Plenty of hairspray. What was it, (laughs) Amy? I mean,
3: hell, that's probably what ignited the reaction, because hairspray is
0: flammable. (laughs) What is with this series and dubbing? In the first film, they dubbed Jeff East with Christopher Reeve's voice. Then in number two... They dubbed Sarah Douglas with Annie Ross's voice, which I talked about in that podcast. Now they dubbed this Mark Pillow guy with Gene Hackman's voice. And by the way, this is not post-production. When he's there saying, you are, that is projected on speakers on set. Sounds like it.
3: Yeah, it sounds like it because the modulation is so... It's like watching, uh, when you go back and watch The Dark Knight Rises and listen to Bane talk, where you could tell that was tapered with extensively... This is the 180 of that where they
1: just did it on set and said, fuck it, that's good enough. Yeah. So I'm going to say, I like the choice for it to be Lex Luthor's voice coming out of that mouth.
0: It should be Superman's because it was Superman's DNA.
1: But it's a Lex baby. Okay. I think he just should not have talked
0: at all. He should war? Is,
1: oh, we get plenty of roar. Yeah.
0: We then get a fun montage in a gym as Clark throws his back out while doing aerobics. As his meathead Paul, he gives Clarky a dumbbell that's just too heavy for him. Or so he thinks. Yeah, exactly. This gym scene, it does have exposition as it's here where Lacey incites Clark over to Lois's as she interviews Superman later on. But this was also longer in that other cut, by the way.
2: What? This gym yeah. scene?
0: Yeah, there was more to it. Cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or at least the aerobic. Cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clark gets back at Paul as we cut to Nuclear Man showing up at Lex's house. Lex welcomes him before lighting his cigar with his hand. We get a... F- hey. Go ahead.
2: No,
1: sorry. I'm just... I'm, I'm rolling my eyes audibly. <laughs> <laughs> what this guy can do. Though, every time the nuclear man shows up, suddenly, when I'm writing Lex Luthor, I start writing Lex Luger by accident. <laughs> Because that's, I feel like that's yeah. exactly what is going on here. Jesus. They should have gotten Lex Luger, Luger yeah. for
0: this. That would have been perfect.
3: I think his promo skills are just, were just as good. <laughs> we,
0: we Killed as many careers. We, <laughs> yeah. Did Nuclear Man push Lacey down a flight of stairs anywhere in this oh, movie? Jesus. We get a bit of a few brewing as Nuclear Man says that Lex is nothing. And he is the father now. Nuclear Man then walks out of the sunlight showing his vulnerability. And how stupid is this? <laughs> It's a pretty big frickin'
1: flaw that you must be in direct sunlight. (laughs) Not that he even loses power, he automatically gets turned off like a fucking Furby.
3: Oh, yeah. He might as well have a freaking like fuel gauge meter as his crest <laughs> on his chest. I think this is the a lot of dumb shit in this movie. <laughs> this makes me laugh every time where he just powers yes. down. This is like what would happen if the Tin Man and the Wizard of Oz if they had no oil can, he would just stop moving. <laughs> and it's like, all right, we're gonna move on
0: without him. And it's instantaneous. Yeah. It's not like he runs out of power. It's an instant freaking shut off. Lex says, without the sun, he's like Lenny at night. He's useless. We did get a scene that, all right, I'll go ahead and say it. I kind of like. Clark shows up at Lois's and then asks Lacey to break a 20 for him. Lois shows Clark the questions that she's going to be asking Superman as he compliments Lacey's dress. He walks out as Superman shows up. And I love how Superman's compliment is completely different. That is a very attractive outfit you're wearing.
3: (laughs) So. This scene actually makes me laugh because I always love the dual-identity nature of superheroes. And this is genuinely creative, although it has my favorite continuity error of this entire franchise. There's a part where Superman is in the living room with Lacey and Lois, and the doorbell rings. He is not outside ringing the doorbell. Thank you. Who who the (laughs) fuck made the doorbell?
0: I thought he looked at the door and made the doorbell ring.
3: Well, I mean, considering he could
1: build a wall, that would would make some sense. Deuce X-Eye Power shows up for everybody in this film. Oh,
0: we'll get to that. I have things to say about that, too. Superman burns the duck dinner, and as Lois goes to attend to it, he flies down to be Clark with Lacey. But this doesn't go well as a luggage cart just gets in his way, and he emerges from a car. (laughs) He flies up again, and then... Him and Lois, they see the city, and Superman says that the whole world is beautiful. Lacey comes in, and Superman rings the doorbell again, as you guys mentioned, for Clark to show up. This entire thing is a comedy of errors, called off with Clark knocking a phone down and picking up the receiver to say hello. Like, I thought that was kind of funny. He just stumbles and knocks the phone down. He's just kind of picking up, like, hello? But this fun is interrupted by Lex, who contacts Superman to say he's going to blow up a set of stories on a building.
1: Back to the Lex frequency. Yep. Sorry. Yeah.
0: I agree. They're trying to harken back to that. Superman apologizes to Lois and shows up to Lex's house in time for Lex to say that the bomb was just a figment of his imagination. And Matt, you and I have already hit it, but I'm going to say it again. I like this conversation between these two, especially when Superman points out that it's common knowledge that Lex hates both animals and children, which was a great line.
3: I think that describes you as well, at least half of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that these two have a general rapport with each other. And I think when they're on
1: screen together, they are kind of having fun. I think the two acting off of each other is nice. It's a scene that I enjoy. The practicality of Superman showing up to stop this building being blown up, and then we're going to chit-chat for a few minutes, it comes across as awkward. But I like seeing these two on screen together just going back and forth.
3: Yeah, this is one of those
0: instances where I wanted more of this. And I wonder if there were any discussions between these two where they shot together that were cut. There is more on those Delia scenes. We find out that Lex has brought Superman here to introduce him to Nuclear Man. And Superman puts together that Lex must have hidden a device on one of the missiles that he took to the sun. The fight begins. And, oh boy.
1: Do you put quote-unquote on that word when you spoke it as
0: well? (laughs) The flying's off. The way Superman rebuilds the Great Wall of China just by looking at it. They had actually planned him to super speed this together, where he would do a lot of super speeding and get those blocks back up to make that wall of China build back up. But of course, that would have been too much money. So they decide to just have him do the eye vision of rebuilding here, the construction eye vision. Oh.
3: So you mentioned they ran out of money as the compromise for why he doesn't stop it. He just fixes it. Is that the same reason why he waits for the volcano to
0: erupt? Oh and decimate the town before freezing it over. Well, there was actually kind of a cool scene cut out of this where Nuclear Man starts a tornado. And I think this is, the when I looked at this, I thought, wow, this must be what Joss Whedon was going for here. Because you had this family in danger as this tornado is getting close to the house. Nuclear Man built this tornado, and it's coming towards. And Superman comes and rescues the little girl, which, by the way, was Christopher Reeve's daughter. And the little boy in the family was Christopher Reeve's son. So he put his kids in here, and he rescued them. And he rescued the family, and got rid of the tornado. Now, all of this, it sounds kind of cool, but all of this is scratchy. And, I mean, come on, the effects aren't worth shit in this film anyway, but it had zero effects attached to it. You just kind of see the blurs as they fly and they they do this. But the scene actually seemed kind of cool.
3: Well, if that was included, it would have been the second most controversial use of a tornado in a Superman movie.
0: (laughs) They fight in space as Nuclear Man freezes Superman and then sends him off towards space. We didn't see Nuclear Man spin inside a volcano and set it off as the unmoving Superman model emerges from the ice. This <laughs> thing comes out of it and it's obviously a model. Superman plugs up the volcano because that's going to help it and then freezes the lava. They fight out in space some more as Nuclear Man he unleashes his nails of doom and then snick snick <laughs> I was having a Lady Deathstrike flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then takes off the Statue of Liberty. He drops it toward a set of extras, but Superman is there to grab it. As he flies away with it, Nuclear Man shows up, and apparently all you need to stop Superman is a scratch on the neck.
3: <laughs> his weakness is his neck, because the necklace is what hurts him in yeah. <laughs> Superman one. He gets like nerve pinched by Zod in Superman That's 2. That's right, yeah. In this one, he, you scratch him on the neck, and then in of Steel, he breaks people's necks. He got tired of it. Like, Let's see how you guys like it.
1: After a non-stop slow-mo just embarrassment of a quote-unquote action scene for it to conclude this way is oh wow
0: wow superman places the statue down as he falls and nuclear man kicks him and superman's cape just falls
3: they did the fucking death of superman poster or cover art like a decade before that was written
0: yep lois is once again upset at what the warfields are publishing and and she just ends up quitting just as Lacey, she quits as well Lois runs off, and here's Clark not looking well as she shows up at his place and gives a bit of a pep
1: talk. Where is Clark? Because this apartment looks like metropolis suddenly sprung a ghetto that he's sleeping in. This is not his beautiful Park Avenue, giant balcony apartment that we saw earlier in this film.
3: The geography of
1: his apartment was like the fifth thing I was questioning. <laughs> I thought we went to Gotham City and walked down the Narrows for a moment.
3: Yeah, this basically, it might as well be the Narrows from Batman Begins. So he gets scratched by Nuclear Man that causes him to start aging at a rapid rate. Yeah, what
0: was up with that?
3: Yeah. I guess the the Yellow Sun sped up his body clock. God, they're doing All-Star Superman 20 years before that was written.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Lex has stacks of money at his disposal and then says that he's going to assume control of the company and then he ends up firing all his dignitaries adding that he's not going to be a reference for work for them if they're looking for it.
1: There is one brilliant line here that popped me huge, and that's when Gene Hackman make reference to it. he's got a power forward, and all I could think of is Hoosiers.
3: Yep. Oh, my God, I and didn't catch that,
1: that. That had to be G- all Gene Hackman.
3: Yep. Well, Hoosiers was, what, 86, mm-hmm. year before this. God, it feels I, like 20 I, years I, before I, this. I, so with Nuclear Man the Larry Bird of this? uh <laughs> <laughs> I have the same hairline.
0: Jeez. Meanwhile, as you guys mentioned, Clark's looking 100 years old, and he ends up using the green crystal he's only supposed to use once again.
1: Only once per film. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. uh, every new director gets to reset that crystal. So we then see Nuclear Man have a fondness for Lacey. Now this here, this... Was actually. Oh, this is Jump Veil, where it's like, I have to be attracted to the one woman in this movie. Well, the weird thing about this is that it was established by Nuclear Man 1, the first attempt at this. He took a liking to her because she has a whole scene in Lex's lair with this other nuclear man, and he's just a goofball, but he establishes that he's attracted to this woman. Well, that was carried over to this particular nuclear man, which really explains why he likes her as opposed to, say, I don't know, seeing her face on a newspaper. But the other thing about this is Superman comes and rescues her from that other nuclear man. He tells her, he goes, all right, Miss Warfield, I hope you're ready for this, but I need you to act as bait as I get the second guy who's coming after you. So it establishes the whole next scene, as opposed to him walking by with saxophones playing as he sees her picture. So... Anyway, I hope that explains it better for you guys.
1: And then Superman showing up to save her because somehow he knows Nuclear Man's going there for no reason whatsoever.
0: Again, he set her up there for him to go after her. That was a whole setup by Superman himself. Which we didn't see yeah, well, previously. Yeah,
1: not in the version that I saw.
0: No, exactly. Exactly in the cutscenes. Yeah. In this cut though, after he has this fondness for Lacey, he shows up to take her, Superman. Somehow knows in this cut that nuclear man's going to be after her, and he's there too. Nuclear man says that he's going to hurt people if he doesn't tell him where Lacey is. He blows up a few cars, spins a sWAT car, raises some people in the air, and this causes Superman to give in, and he heads to an elevator as nuclear man goes up the building the old fashioned way through the ceiling
1: so think of the people, <laughs> yeah, exactly, Wait. yeah. Same line.
0: But this is all part of Superman's plan as he takes the elevator and drops it off to the moon as Superman takes a moment to fix the flag. So this whole moon sequence, this whole moon fight sequence, this was all directed by Reeve himself. There's a big Entertainment Tonight clip that is on YouTube where he kind of brags about that. The idea...
1: Like many things, the idea of them fighting on the moon is a damn good one. The stupidity of Superman for not going to the dark side of the moon cannot be overlooked. And then this slow-mo just pushing back in... Oh, man, there's no action in this action scene. Mm -hmm. None. Also... This is where you can really
3: see the budget tamperings because you can see the goddamn curtains <laughs> while they're fighting on the moon as he lands. It's really shoddy. You can see the wires as he lands. Oh, boy. It, it, it's tough. It's kind of tough to watch. It is. Things have to get better. Your effects shouldn't look worse as your movies go on.
1: No. You might as well have used the moon room from Revenge of the Nerds for this set.
0: Superman thinks he has him beat, but here's the sun to screw up the plans. Nuclear Man emerges again and smashes Superman's head into the ground as he tries scratching him again. But Superman, he throws him away. Nuclear Man comes back and sends some energy bolts Superman's way before picking him up and pounding him
1: into the moon and kicking dirt over him. Every time he fires like these random laser bolts from his I know. hands, I just I just can't. I fucking hate this oh, so I mean it is his levitating yeah. his levitating eye stare, <laughs> the Superman lowering telekinesis that he suddenly has <laughs> like just random out of nowhere that has no basis in any of these characters.
0: We go back to the newspaper as Warfield says that responsible newp- newspapers go broke. No dude, all newspapers go broke. <laughs> And here's Nuclear Man to take Lacey away. As Superman once again replaces the flag, he then moves the moon over the sun, as screwing up more plants.
3: A turtle dark, yeah, a turtle darkness now for yeah, humanity. exactly.
1: Yeah, it's completely just screwed up the tides, flooded like all land yep. masses in the yeah. in the on the globe. But that's okay, because Lacey can breathe in outer space. All right, let's get to
0: this. So, Nuclear Man flies up to space with (laughs) Lacey, because of course she is. Logic be damned. Funny story about this scene. So, Jen had just come home from a shitty day at work, right? And (laughs) she sat down right during this scene. (laughs) She looks at the scene. She looks at me. She's like, uh. This just proves to me that they just did not give a shit. They're just like, let's just get through it. She can breathe in space. Let's do it. And it gets worse later. I want to get to that scene, but it gets worse later in the deleted scenes.
3: I can't help but laugh.
0: This scene rattles my brain to a point where I had to break my own neck to get it back into place. Superman takes Nuclear Man and puts him in a power plant. So now Gus's computer will always have power. The Daily Planet, it's back as Warfield shows up and Perry White completely shoots him down. He says he's bought all the outstanding shares and Warfield is now the minority shareholder. We cut to a Superman press conference where Clark forgets his tape player and then Superman says that he cannot end the threat of war by himself as there are other galaxies to meet and learn from and there will be peace. And it is from this news conference, boys. Superman goes, instead of ending that sentence like that, he says he cannot end the threat of war by himself. He goes, or can we? So he flies away, shows up at Jeremy's school again as he's outside during recess, picks him up. He goes, how would you like to go for a ride? Takes him up to space. They're flying over the earth. And Superman looks at Jeremy and goes, what do you see down there, Jeremy? He goes, continents, oceans. I don't see any borders. And Superman goes, what's that mean? And Jeremy goes, we're all one planet, one people. And Superman goes, if everyone can think like you, Jeremy, I think we'll be okay. And he flies. That's the way the elitist scenes are. So not only is Lacey able to breathe in space, this fucking kid can breathe in space as well.
1: (laughs) Wow. Well, as it is, the speech he gives to the UN at the end is a freaking plagiarized speech anyway. Yeah, it's War's about, isn't it? Either way, it's one that literally has been said exactly the same way. That war will finally end when good men of this planet rise up in the end of their leaders.
0: We cut to Lex and Lenny as they're driving away and realize that they're not driving anymore and Superman is there to take them away. By the way, this is directly from Action Comics and we'll see this reenacted in a couple months again. He takes Lenny to a boy's school and then Lex, he goes back to prison. He tells Lex that the way he defeated Nuclear Man is high school physics and the world will always be on the brink and that he'll see him in 20... Well, 19, but we'll talk about that in a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> he waves at. Okay, as an 11 year old and I was watching this, I didn't give a shit anymore. He waves at a blue screen. <laughs> and <laughs> credits roll on Superman 4 The Quest for Peace. What a movie. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do we give Superman 4 The Quest for Peace? Adam, you go ahead and go, sir.
1: This was a movie in its time in mid eighties, should have been everything that people wanted in a Superman movie. I mean, this is playing off the of Cold War, playing off of nuclear fears. Look what that did for Rocky Four. I mean, that should have been the kind of the archetype for what this should have been. Instead, what we get is an overthought but underproduced episode of Super Friends for ninety minutes. The script, the colors, everything about this feels like it's a made for kids cartoon. And on that level, okay, you know, I guess it's there because everything is surfaced, and that surface is as thin as that Superman hair that somehow gets cut with bolt cutters halfway through this film. Everything I remembered is lesser and also shorter. Like, I remember Nuclear Man being a big part of this movie. Kind of only shows up for the last third, and then it's quick and over. But it's so poor that it just looms large over this small, small entry into this franchise. Watch it once so that you can say you watched it. But it's a Super Friends episode that's that's the worst of those. And so for what we've gotten, it's the worst of these also. It's that classic four on ten.
0: Wow. I thought maybe you'd go five after you went six and a half last week, which was the most shocking part of that podcast. Matt, what about you, sir? So going into this
3: with baggage, and especially after watching Superman 3, I really did not want to watch this. And if you recall last week, my opinion was that I think Superman 3, based on Recollection is worse, in my estimation, than Superman four, and I still fully support that opinion. Superman three is two hours long. This was at least 89 minutes. This, for me, was, Adam said it perfectly, it's a Super Friends episode, guest starring Captain Planet. The sensibilities, earnest as they may be, were not given the writing impetus to really flesh this out into something that was both true to Superman and also a strong character piece for why this character has endured. Instead, it's oversimplified, like Saturday morning cartoons often are. But with that said, I don't view this in the same camp as as like a Batman and Robin or a Catwoman or... Hell, I'd rather watch this over X-Men 3. This did not make me angry like a lot of those did. I could point to my lack of Superman fandom as a factor as to why I feel that way. But also, for all the grandstanding and... This movie's been stabbed 37 times, like Michael Myers that has just been kicked when it's down. Yes, it's not well made, and it's not objectively good, but can I call it offensive? I cannot, because I always detected sincerity on the part of Christopher Reeve and Sidney Fury. Like, this was not one of those things to where I hated my existence watching it. But God knows I am not going to pop this in anytime soon, if ever, again. Maybe I'll take this double DVD set of Superman 3 and 4 and hurl it into the sun myself. Strap that to a rocket next time I go to NASA, as if I've been multiple times. So I have the same score written down as Adam. It's a 4 on 10 for me. It's not good by any stretch of the imagination. But if it's not harmless, it's at the very least, I don't know what the right word It's not harmless but it's also not bulletproof like, like Superman is. It's a wounded animal that was trying to ride on a series that really had lost all of its momentum after Richard Donner's departure and the restoration of Superman two on Lester. I think this was damaged goods at this point, but it's better than Superman Three in my opinion.
0: So four on ten for me. Two fours coming into this podcast. You know, I, I've taken a lot of shit on this podcast for mentioning on a lot of them that I... Like a lot of heart in my superhero movies, in my movies, period, I see if a movie's not made with sincerity, I call it out, and I see that there's nothing really done to really make us care about the movie. This movie is calling me out on my bullshit because this movie is all heart. I think Christopher Reeve's heart was in the right place when he put this story together, but he did not have the tools to come through on his vision, and it's sad. It really is. It's a reason why I just cannot damn it too much because I see what he's trying to do but these producers let him down at every instance these actors are not looking well there is no real big acting going on here I th- I like the rapport between Luther and Clark I like one or two of the conversations between Clark and Lois as well but other than that like this this movie just falls on its face and it deserves every bit of ridicule it gets because If you didn't have the money to do this, if you're going to fucking cut the time just so that you can fit screenings because you know it's a piece of shit, there's something wrong. And I'm just envisioning Reeve sitting down for one of those viewings of this movie, one of those screenings, and just seeing his heart sink as he sees it go down the tubes. And it's sad. As somebody who grew up on those Reeve movies, it's sad to see it go this way. I prefer to just go Superman 1, Superman 2, Superman 3, and just kind of pretend this movie doesn't exist. But The Completist in Me has no choice to. It's sad watching this movie. It's sad watching Reeve in this movie. It's really sad watching Margot Kidder in this movie. And when you have an ex-Chippendales dancer as your fucking big villain at the end of your movie. You need to reevaluate your casting decisions. He must have come cheap. This is a cheap knockoff of what I love so much in those previous films. I am going to go lower than you guys. I am going to go three. I do think it's way worse than three. That's where me and Matt really differ on this. But I think the heart was in the right place. But goddamn, did that heart not live up to anything. All right, so that does it for Superman 4. Now, what Canon was planning to do with that cut footage... Was assemble a Superman 5 with it and revolving a story around it. And they were gonna bring Albert Pune, who we will discuss when we go to Captain America, to come in and assemble that movie. But by this point, Reeve was done. He did want to do another one without Albert Pune that actually had him passing the torch to a new person. Would you guys have gone with that? Would you guys have gone with maybe Reeve coming back one more time for Superman 5 to kind of pass the torch?
1: I think if you would have maybe established enough that we could get like John Kent, you know, Superboy and go that way, I could see myself going along with it. A different character or something like that or some other random Kryptonian that shows up like they're want to do nowadays in comics, hell no. But if it was Reeve passing it to his son, yeah, that'd be something I'd be okay with.
3: Not if it was the same brain power behind Superman 3 and 4. If they were going to do that, which I I personally would not have done it, I don't care what scenario you you give me, I thought this was too far gone. If Reed was going to come back, I would have just rebooted, started from scratch, and pass it off to a new actor instantaneously. I would not have brought him back at all. I know this was not a good send-off, but also I don't believe that you should double down and desperately try to do that if creatively you are not in a place to make that work and i did not trust anyone involved to orchestrate something that would satisfy me
0: all right so this is reeve's swan song when it comes to this series he does come back in smallville for a couple episodes if you've seen that show one just fantastic episode that he's in oh my god it's one of the best hours of television ever put the television in my eyes and then that's it are you guys sad that this is how reeve leaves this series um, I
1: don't know if I want to say sad. His accident wasn't all that long after this. When you think about it, it was only what, seven and a half, eight years? Was it 95 mm-hmm. where, you know, when he had the horse accident? But I had seen other films that he had done since. So I have Superman one and two and I appreciate those movies dramatically. So when I think of Superman, when I think of Christopher Reed, I think of Superman the Motor. Sure, I think of Superman two and I'm happy with that. I can ignore four. I can ignore most of three because I think the shadow that he and that cape leaves on the superhero film landscape is undeniable. And I don't know if it'll never be surpassed, but it's damn hard to meet that level just because of how game-changing it was and how it really kick-started everything.
0: And we're going to see in a couple months that they chase this tale quite a few years before we finally get a new vision of this. But we'll discuss when that'll happen in a little bit. Matt, what about you? Are you sad to see Reeve go like this? I'm sad for both Reeve and the character
3: because I think Superman's reputation was kind of hurt by these last two movies. And it took him dying in comics for people to get reconnected to that character. But I'm also sad in the sense that you see the first two movies, which really, despite the technical complications, a lot by all kinds of design, it felt like a singular epic. And that kind of set the bar, unfortunately, high, not just for the genre, but for Superman in particular. So I am sad that Reeve went out on a bad note. And obviously, you know, with what happened with him personally is terrible. But I can take solace in knowing that almost 50 years later, his legacy will live on. And I think, in his case, the good of the first two tends to override the bad with three and four. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but the thing that hurts the most is just how it took so long for Superman to regain,
0: (laughs) much like Superman has to learn to love humanity again. Humanity had to learn to love Superman again after this. He most certainly did. And with that being said, we are going to put the Man of Steel on the shelf for a couple months. We have a massive retrospective coming up in May that we're not going to reveal just yet it is something we've been asked to do we're going to do it but Goudreau why don't you go ahead and reveal what we're going to be doing for April
3: well we got a big new release of the cover little movie about cars and family (laughs) is coming out in April so we're doing Fast X as a new release I'll be driving that show as I did back at Binge but as far as what retrospective are we doing well we put Adam back in the car tied him to a seatbelt, and then put duct tape over that seatbelt and drove to a little place called Salem's Lot to go back to Stephen King. And we are taking not just a working weekend, as Ben Mears does, we are taking an extended vacation because we are doing everything associated with Salem's Lot except for the remake, which still has yet to get a concrete release date, so when that time comes, we will tackle that whenever it is released. But this includes the 1979 Toby Hooper miniseries, This includes A Return to Salem's Lot, and it includes the 2004 TNT two-night production starring Rob Lowe. So this is a big Stephen King book, and we wanted to do it justice. And we, meaning Garrett, Adam and I, are just here under protest to a certain degree. (laughs) (laughs) And much more than I. I at least can ride shotgun. Adam is someone we had to lock in the trunk in order to get him to do
0: this. (laughs) And for those wondering if we're going to keep that weekend of Salem's Lot is supposed to come out open, no. We have something planned for that, which I'm not going to reveal. But you know what? If that movie, by the time this is done being posted and that movie has a trailer and has the release date still in concrete, then yeah, we will cover it that weekend. But there is a plan in place in case it doesn't. And I think it's a very good replacement plan. All right, boys, that does it for Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. I appreciate you guys going through these Christopher Reeve movies with me. And yes, we are returning to The Man of Steel in a couple months, so keep that in mind. But until next week, when we get to Toby Hooper's 1979 Salem's Lot, this podcast is the same as it's always been, on the brink with good fighting evil. See you guys in 20. Thanks, boys.
2: Once more, we survived the threat of war and found a fragile peace. I thought I could give you all the gift of the freedom from war, but I was wrong. It's not mine to give. We're still a young planet. There are galaxies out there, other civilizations for us to meet, to learn from. What a brilliant future we could have. And there will be peace. There will be peace when the people of the world want it so badly
3: that their governments will have no choice but to give it to them. I just wish you could all see the Earth the way
2: that I see it. Because when you really look at it, it's just one world. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast.
0: Hey that's a bad
2: artist. join us next week for an entirely new review I see you are practiced in worshipping things that fly The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam and Nathan Mind over muscle edited by Garrett Hey that hey, has a miracle voiceovers by Adam Ruler of Australia activate the mission Men in a Retrospective Podcast is for review and discussion and all clips music and audio cues are used as such. now no hard feelings we all have our little faults mine's in california
0: what we end up with we end up with Sidney j fury now Sidney j fury at this point the only thing i really know him from is he did the two iron man uh, iron iron man iron eagle films (laughs) but ron howard was busy with willow a movie a movie i really want to cover eventually No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Lord of the Rings. I don't know. You see some sword and sorcery there. Yeah, well
3: I'd rather do I, I can name five other movies we should do. Like I would watch the Beastmaster
0: before I <laughs> Oh my I ever god, I just rewatched again. that a couple months ago. Oh my god, yeah. I'm
1: I'm voting Kroll.
0: <laughs> oh shit. <laughs>
3: Actually that yeah, that that wins.
1: <laughs> Alright. So you don't get many of these eighty quote unquote action movies without having some type of bombshell that you would also see on the cover of a magazine. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. Yeah. Who who played
0: uh, What's-Her-Name in Masters of the Universe?
1: Uh,
0: which one here? We're talking about... I'm don't. i I'm not a human expert. I don't know their fucking Evil names. Lynn? Courtney Cox? Was it Evil Lynn that you're thinking of, or was it Tila that you're thinking of? That's, what the fuck's her name? The, the blonde. Uh, was it the chick who was in They Live? That same chick? No. What the fuck... Yeah, now Chelsea. It up. Yeah, I think yeah, Chelsea, yeah field. Chelsea field played uh Tila. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Of. Lois explain Oh yeah, yeah. Lois explains to Sorry. you're fine. Lois explains to Lacey that Clark You know, Donner and Mankiewicz were right. You don't go this way with this character. You got to find the Im- human emotion. It was the wrong choice, wasn't it, boys? Matt no. Oh, I think Adam, it's, Adam, I think it's the again. right Say that again. I'm sorry. I stepped on I, it.
1: No. I think it's the right choice. Lacey
0: calls it a date and time for Lois to hear it, but she's here to hand him a letter from Jeremy, who says that. I'm sorry. I need to say that again because I fucked that up. Lacey calls it a date.
3: I think he just should not have talked at all. Wh- which is. He should roar? <laughs> oh,
1: if we get plenty of roar. Yeah. The Lex and Superman DNA is end up what we get with um, um, uh, who was in the Titans.
3: Oh, um, um, God damn
1: it. Is it Connor? No.
3: Yeah, C- Connor Kent.
1: Yeah, Connor Kent Superboy, which is a mix of Lex and Superman's DNA.
3: I guess it died of acid
2: indigestion.